Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Friday, November 1st. I hope you all had a wonderful Halloween last night, uh, but that's all in the past now. The calendar has, of course, turned to November and the clocks fall back this weekend. And it's possible that it is the final time we actually fall back after the province introduced the Interpretation Amendment Act yesterday. The legislation will place BC on permanent daylight time, but uh, we will for now fall back early this Sunday morning like most everyone else. Uh, have a solid show lined up here today in the back half of today. Program. I'm joined by the chair of the Peace River Regional District. The PRRD has written a letter to Premier John Horgan expressing extreme disappointment that the board did not get an invitation to take part in the proposed leaders' table regarding caribou recovery agreements. For months, the regional district says it has been advocating for open and transparent communication regarding caribou recovery and has been asking the province to provide them with a seat at that leader's table as the province works towards a conservation and recovery plan. So I'll be chatting with Brad Sperling in a little bit. And it is November, which for many also means Movember. Yes, it is the time where we uh, annually grow our lip lettuce in support of men's health and prostate cancer research. So I'll have Mitch Hermanson on from the organization to end off today's program. But to kick things off, I am joined in studio now by two lovely ladies who help put together a paper on tech firms here in Kamloops. How many are stationed here and why do they choose to set up shop here and what's being done to make sure they stick around? Well, I introduce now Associate Professor, School of Business and Economics at TRU, Dr. Laura Lamb. Laura? Good morning. And Economics Development Manager, Nicole Bruce. Nicole, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much for having us. So let me just start by kind of asking why this was something you guys wanted to look into. Just sort of what piqued your interest about tech firms here in Kamloops and, and why you wanted to find out just sort of what the landscape, I guess, looked like here in the city. Sure. Um, maybe I'll take this question. Um, yeah, I was completing my MBA program at TRU and um, I decided to do the research uh, stream of that program. And so um, when I started looking into topics, I was taking Dr. Laura Lamb's uh, methodologies course and started exploring ideas that would be useful for our city. And uh, rather than just writing a paper, I wanted it to, to have some impact and to understanding something that is important to our city. Perfect. Yeah, I definitely think it's an interesting subject. And uh, I was talking earlier with uh, our, our morning host saying, uh, you know, the, the industry or, or our economic uh, seems to be kind of moving towards a tech-based economy. That's the words I was looking for. So it's important to kind of know what the landscape looks like here. Um, so with high-tech firms, like I said, being something that many communities are sort of wanting to attract, um, you know, how is Kamloops able to, to stand out as a desirable destination? Is there anything specific about Kamloops right now that makes tech firms think, I should set up shop there? I don't think it's any one factor. I think it's a combination of different factors. Um, um, and I would say probably three different areas. Um, one area has to, got to do with what we call the hard factors. So those are typically costs. So um, the cost of doing business in Kamloops is relatively reasonable compared to other places in BC and especially when we compare it to larger centers. So that would be one aspect of it. Um, another would be the infrastructure. And um, interestingly enough, um, geographically, Kamloops is an ideal location for businesses such as data centers because we are removed from seismic activity and floodplains. Okay. Um, and actually, 
probably the most important factor that, that comes into play, because I think you need all these factors together, is the quality of life uh, lifestyle factors. So one of the factors that came up repeatedly um, through the data collection, through the interviews, was uh, work-life balance and how that was um, easier to achieve and more satisfying than Kamloops. Okay, so mm -hmm. definitely some things there that you can use as a sales pitch to, to convince people to come here. Was there any... Um, yeah, and sorry. I, I also agree with everything that Laura said. I, th I think that um, because we're naturally situated uh, very close to the natural resources uh, sector, uh, it also lends itself well to the opportunities for companies to modernize those industries, such as mining, uh, forestry, etc., all those ministers that deal with dirt. So um, definitely I think that there's a, a good opportunity and, and many of the companies that were interviewed uh, fall in line with that. Um, and as well, one other thing is that we are a transportation hub. So often it came up that um, one of the top reasons for locating was uh, proximity to customers. And that may be a little deceiving because um, you may think down the street, but in fact it was that um, company owners could take a short flight to the major centers or drive to Kelowna and be back by the end of the day to service those customers. Um, so I think those factors are also important. Perfect. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so definitely some reasons for people to consider locating here. Uh, do you have any idea what the numbers look like right now? How many tech firms are here at this point in time? Well, we do only have the stat of 200 companies, and I do, you know, you know that is a broad. Um, a broad category, I guess, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when you talk about tech, it's an interesting subject because <laughs> it's very difficult to define. And I think it's getting harder and harder to define because, um, you know, those traditional businesses are starting to incorporate technology. And so really, technology I is in all sectors. Yeah, so sure. it is a challenge for sure to, to collect the data uh, to determine the size in Kamloops, but we do have that stat. It was done before my time at Venture Kamloops of uh, approximately, yeah, of 200 uh, companies. So with 200 companies here, uh, you mentioned a number of reasons why they might want to set up shop mm -hmm. here, but did they give you any specific reasons as to why they actually did? Like there was a number of factors why they considered it, but what was the main reason for them to, to actually open up business here in Kamloops? Was there a particular one or two things that stood out above the rest? Well, um, yes, absolutely. And the factor um, that stood out the most was the quality of life, a, a balance of work life. Um, um, a lot of, I'm just you know trying to think of um, yeah some of the uh, some of the information we gathered, but um, uh, things like a lack of traffic congestion was mentioned by more than one person. Um, a close proximity to go hiking, biking, or you know, a relatively short drive to a major ski hill. Those type of factors. Uh, things like schools. Um, uh, recreation, cultural amenities. So I think um, I, Kamloops has a critical mass um, such that we can offer those type of diverse, diverse activities mm -hmm. and we're growing on things like that as well. So people are looking for, um, you know, yeah, like we say, I mean, access to the outdoors. You know, you don't have to drive two hours to um, to get to water, to, mm -hmm. to go paddle boarding or canoeing. So a lot of those extracurriculars that really seem mm -hmm. to, to draw people in. Um, one thing I do remember when I was reading the through the paper was talking about, um, you know, a lot of people who are maybe from Kamloops is part of the reasons mm -hmm. that they wanted to come back here and, and set up a business. So uh, just curious, do you, do you know what the numbers are in terms of maybe a percentage or, or most people um, who are setting up business here from here? I believe it was 61% said that it was their hometown. Um, yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, so I guess with that in mind, the, obviously that being from here is a big factor in wanting to do business here. What's being done to, to tell those people who are from here who may be going off to, to do school somewhere else, mm -hmm. or if they are at TRU to convince them to stick around, is there anything that's being done to make sure that we promote Kamloops as a great place to do business? Yeah. Uh, I think there is, and, and that goes right back to the elementary and high school level. Um, we have Junior Dragon's Den that's put on by Venture by Community Futures and Venture Kamloops this year. Um, so that's an entrepreneurial pitch competition. Um, but before the pitch, in fact, uh, community leaders and uh, the education system is working with those kids to understand how to make a business idea viable for the Kamloops market. And a lot of those businesses are tech-related. Um, we also have Junior Achievements. Uh, they have their company program, and that ties into um, the Junior Dragon's Den, but uh, it also has a company program. Uh, that's pretty exciting and uh, up and coming. School District 73 does uh, career talks where, again, community leaders, entrepreneurs in our community, Venture Kamloops, Community Futures, uh, Chamber of Commerce, and all of the community supports programs come into the school system and talk about Kamloops, the opportunities that exist here, the career paths, and how, how an individual, a young individual would um, would would uh, not only identify but learn how to go through the steps and access TRU um, and other resources that we have in our city to to further their careers. And due to the nature of tech and the broad spectrum uh, of careers that that encompasses, I would say that that ties in quite nicely. Uh, and worth mentioning also the DigiPen program that's offered out of the Sahali High School. So students that are specifically interested in technology can go and uh, do a semester in Sahali uh, to learn more. And we also have a one-day technology program that's offered by uh, volunteer entrepreneurs involved in the tech community uh, where students at the high school level can come out for a day and learn about all the different companies that are in Kamloops and how they might become involved. It seems important to, to know how you might fit into those businesses for sure. If you're considering a field or a studying in tech, then you should know kind of what the options are available to you. Um, I know that also when, when reading through the paper, we talked about uh, Thompson Rivers or available access to education, that's the word, uh, was also a pretty important factor for these businesses. So TRU, uh, obviously a big um, contributor when it comes to uh, the education here in Kamloops. Um, is there anything that's being done to, to make sure that, you know, we do have the right workforce available for these tech companies? Is there anything like, does TRU have any sort of uh, action plan that it's working on to, to make sure that workforce is available? Because if there's no workforce, then why would you set up shop here? So what, what is TRU doing? Is there any specific programs in place? Yes, um, and um, uh, the growth in TRU and the growth and diversification of the programs over the last 10 years um, I think has definitely been a contributor to the growing uh, tech industry here in Kamloops. Um, uh, when we study um, tech sectors in other areas, uh, proximities to universities is a really major factor. So it is it is definitely playing a role. And, um, and TRU um, over the years um, is making a greater effort to, um, to be connected to the community um, where we have um, de deans from certain areas um, as sitting on community boards and interacting with the tech sector. Um, and there is a lot of um, association between, uh, say, like um, 
the Kamloops Innovation Center and different schools from TRU, especially the School of Business and Economics and the Faculty of Science. Uh, so the Faculty of Sciences were the computer um, the computer programming, computer science mm -hmm. areas lies. So there's a lot of communication there and a lot of conversations. Also at TRU, we have a very active co-op program, and the co-op program has been growing. Um, off the research that was done, a number of the um, tech companies in Kamloops noted the the relevance and importance of being able to hire co-op students. You know, that's an opportunity to hire a student. You know, for for, for one term or two terms, and quite often that can grow to long-term employment opportunities as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely an important industry that we have to continue to cater towards a little bit, right, as we want to see our economy grow. And, and uh, yeah, tech companies and more of them, 200 seems like a lot, but we could probably use a few more. So thanks so much for coming in, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, yeah, definitely some good information to dig through here. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> awesome. That was uh, Laura uh, Laura Lamb with the uh, Thompson Rivers University and uh, Economic Development Manager Nicole Bruce on tech firms here in the city of Kamloops. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking about business investment here in Canada, so stick around. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back into the Jeff Andrea Show and thanks as always for tuning in. Uh, it sounds like some unfortunate news for the Canadian economy from my perspective as it is being reported that the country is seeing the lowest level of business investment in 25 years. What has led to this dip over the past quarter century and should we be sounding the alarm bells? Well, I'm joined now by Bank of Montreal Chief Economist Doug Porter. Doug, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just start with why this is happening. What do you think are the factors that are leading to this downturn uh, in investment from Canadian businesses? First of all, just to, to step back for, uh, for a minute and clarify, what, sure. what we're actually talking about is the, the level of business investment as a share of the economy is the lowest in 25 years. So, right. I mean, we, we've actually seen growth in business investment. It's just been very slow. But what, what makes it really disappointing is usually at this advanced stage of, uh, of a cycle, you know, where it's 10 years since the last recession, usually you have business investment rising as a share of uh, the, the economy, not falling. So something, something unusual and, frankly, not positive has, has been happening. Um, I think there are two things at play here. First of all, one is, of course, with the collapse in oil prices about four or five years ago, uh, that just shattered investment in the uh, in the oil and gas sector, uh, as well as you know, all the pipeline uncertainty uh, that that's weighed on uh, on oil and gas investment as well. But you know, really, nothing has stepped in, and I think that's the you know that's the disappointing feature here. You know, we haven't seen really a step up of investment from other sectors, even even though uh, about a year ago, Ottawa did bring in accelerated capital uh, depreciation rules. Uh, we really haven't seen investment pick up, and and I think some of it is just just due to the uncertainty around the trade picture with the U.S. So, I mean, given the fact that you said it's been kind of a, a trend since 2014-ish when the, the change in oil prices sort of came in, um, uh, you know, has, has there been a significant amount of work done over the past five years to change that or, or to see some investment from other industry? I mean, you know, obviously just from an, from an economist perspective, you know, have you seen a shift at all or is this really stagnant in terms of, uh, you know, what, what types of businesses we're talking about here? And, you know, occasionally there have been some bursts of, of spending in, in small select areas, but nothing nothing really sustained. Um, you know, to their credit, the federal government did 
try to do what they you know could could afford to do in in terms of uh, trying to support business investment a, a year ago with when they um, brought out that accelerated depreciation depreciation rules but the other thing we've seen besides all the uncertainty around the the trade file uh, of course uh, about two years ago the u.s slashed corporate taxes and that you know helped give a temporary boost to to U.S. Uh, business investment, and it may have drawn a little bit out of Canada as well. Um, you know, we went for years and years with having a, one of a much lower corporate income tax rate than uh, is the case in the U.S., and now the, the shoe's on the other foot. U.S. corporate income tax rates are a little bit below those of Canada when you, you know, look at it both on a federal and provincial level. And so I think, you know, many uh, businesses are now actually looking to invest in the U.S. instead of Canada. Um. One thing that I think it might be, you know, surprising or, or interesting to hear when you're talking about, you know, the fact that we've seen this sort of a slower investment, but yet, you know, we just saw this election and the, and the Liberal government has been touting, you know, the, the fact that uh, we're seeing record employment rates right now. I mean, how come, you know, if we're seeing less investment, how are we able to, you know, see that employment level increase? That, that almost doesn't feel like it should correlate. You're right, and it, it is uh, a little bit of a mystery. One one theory that's out there, and I think there's some truth to this, especially in the service sector, is businesses are a little bit reluctant to, to commit to, say, machinery and equipment or building a new plant or, um, you know, a new store, um, be, uh, largely because of all the uh, the uncertainty, especially on the trade front. And instead, what they're doing is hiring more people. Uh, so it's almost as if they're, you know, to, to put it bluntly, they're, they're substituting people for uh, for machinery, which is about the opposite of what you know a lot of a lot of folks have been warning us uh, for years that robots were going to take all our jobs. Well, it almost seems like people are taking the uh, the jobs of robots, at least in uh, in Canada over the last year or so. So, you know, as I said, we've had this very strong job growth, and we've had this very weak business investment, which does seem a little bit odd. Do you think that that's sustainable to see those two trends almost continue in opposite directions? No, I think the short answer is it's uh, it's unlikely to to be sustained for for a while. Um, you know, you really do need uh, basically capital to uh, to 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 support ongoing job gains, and that can only run for so long. And frankly, the kind of job gains you're going to get without business investment will be lower quality, lower pay. All right. Well, uh, I think that's all I had for questions for you right now here, Doug. Anything else that you want to add on this file before I let you go? It's uh, definitely some interesting information here. Well, I guess the other thing to point out is, that, you know, I don't want to uh, be totally negative. I think there are, you know, there are a lot of reasons, uh, to, you know, to be relatively optimistic on the Canadian economy when we look in the, in the years ahead and reasons for businesses to invest. We have a, a great workforce here, very well-educated and well-trained. We have good infrastructure. And actually, our government finances overall, um, you know, at the federal and provincial level combined, uh, when we look across the country, are in relatively good shape compared to uh, to most uh, most major economies. And we have pretty strong demographics. So I... You know, even though business investment is lagging now, uh, as I said, it can be turned around, and, and I'm still optimistic on, on the medium term for the economy. Perfect. Well, I like the, uh, the positive note to end our conversation here on. So thanks so much for doing this, Doug. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Anytime, Jeff. Awesome. That was Doug Porter, Chief Economist with the Bank of Montreal. Coming up, I'll be joined by the chair of the Peace River Regional District, who's not happy about being left out of the conversation regarding caribou recovery. So we'll stay tuned for that. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. 
Hello and welcome back to this Friday edition of the Jeff Andrea Show. And of course, as always, thanks so much for tuning in. The Peace River Regional District has written a letter to Premier John Horgan expressing extreme disappointment that the board did not get invited to take part in the proposed leaders table regarding caribou recovery agreements. The regional district says it has been long advocating for open and transparent communication regarding caribou recovery and has been asking the province to provide them with a seat at that leaders table as the province works towards a conservation and recovery. Recovery plan. I am joined now by the PRRD Chair, Brad Sperling. Brad, thanks so much for coming on with me today. Oh, you're welcome. So maybe just start by telling me why the district wants so badly to be involved in this process. The answer might be pretty clear, but I think it's important to hear just why you think it's so important to be at that table. Well, when you're talking about species uh, at risk and recovery, I mean, that's number one. Everybody should be at that table. Uh, I mean, that's that's an obvious question or answer. I mean, to leave parts out, uh, you're not going to accomplish it properly, uh, whether it's the people, industry, federal, provincial governments, the First Nations, everybody should be there with concerns of uh, a species at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, what do, you, do you have any thoughts on sort of what the plan is as it stands right now? I know it's kind of gone through a, a lot of ups and downs as they've been trying to put this caribou recovery plan together, but uh, you know, it still seems to be a, an ongoing process. So just what are your thoughts on how this process has gone so far? Because clearly you wanted to have more of a voice in how things are continuing to progress, and that hasn't really been the case to date. But, um, you know, just sort of what is your opinion on how the, the file has been handled? Well, I mean, we've been uh, asking for this for approximately two years now since we started hearing about this. And, uh, I mean, last spring it uh, took uh, more ground outside our area and, uh, you know, we found out that uh, more and more of these herds right uh, across BC are uh, declining. Uh, The province started having uh, open conversations with other areas of the province uh, but still haven't uh, had that with ours and are moving forward uh, as far as we know we're, right now we're just hearing crickets and they're still not talking to us but they are to other areas and that's pretty concerning uh, I mean the Premier admitted that uh, last spring this was handled in the wrong way and we're still getting nothing uh, we had a presentation in August from uh, Mr. Brownlee, that was appointed by the province, he came up, asked us if we would take part of the leadership table, which we agreed. We wanted to see the terms of reference and move forward on this. People are very concerned. Uh, They set up a meeting, and it was cancelled, and since then, we've heard nothing. And we'd just really like to know what's happening. Uh, they came out a week or so ago saying that the herds up in this area, through the programs that they've had going for the last five years, the penning, feeding programs, the predator control, the herds have increased 49% in the last five years. Well, that's great. Those programs have to continue and keep going. But let's look at the socioeconomics, what, it, what it's going to impact to the areas, that's what has to be done. We all have to be sitting at that table. Mm-hmm. Keep these programs going and look at the socio and economic impacts. Uh, so what did I guess are you guys doing now? Like when, when did you send this uh, letter to the premier? Was that, uh, do you have a, do you know the date or has it like, just, I'm just curious how recently uh, this it was, was just a, It was just a week ago. 
Okay, and so, um, yeah, it's probably going to take a little longer to hear a response, but I'm hoping, or you're probably hoping to, to hear something sooner than later, just in terms of uh, at least some kind of reply that, you know, it's acknowledgement that it's been received. Um, is, what, are you, what are you continuing to do to advocate for a seat at that table besides writing this letter? Is there anything else you guys can do at this point? Not really. Uh, like you just said, hoping for a response right away. If we don't get a response, I guess we'll send another letter. Uh, it, it's a, just very frustrating that we see consultation going on in other areas in the province on uh, caribou recovery and their open uh, meetings, but yet we're not. And it, it's just very frustrating. Uh, another issue, and like, this isn't just about caribou. Species at risk is something we have to deal with. And there has to be a process in place where we can deal with that, look at the socioeconomic impacts to whichever region it's in. That's what has to be put in place because each area is going to be a little bit different. Uh, and I say it's just not about caribou. This summer we received a letter from the federal government asking us how we'd like to be consulted on the grizzly bear. Well, when we were at UBCM this fall, I asked the minister and told them we received this letter, and they knew nothing about it. So everybody's working in silos here, and you're not going to get the job done if uh, you're going to continue like that. Uh, so when you're talking about species at risk, and you're, you're mentioning grizzly bears as one specific one, and we're talking about caribou, they kind of started this conversation, but um, when you're looking at you know, individual animals um, by themselves. Do you think that's the best way to go about doing this? Because, uh, or should this be more of a broader conversation when you're talking species at risk? Is that should that be almost all encompassing? I, I think it should be broader. I mean, different areas. I mean, there will be specific uh, species in uh, different areas. But like I said, there has to be a process in place to deal with the whole species at risk issue. I mean, that, that should be number one. But with that being said, you also have to look at the impacts of the people of those areas. The species obviously needs to be protected and enhanced. Uh, here with the chair of the Peace River Regional District, Brad Sperling. Brad, uh, what are you? What are the kind of conversations you guys are having at that uh, that district level? What What is Peace River Regional District doing right now? Um, you know, to advocate for itself. Like, you know, if you're not going to be a part of this leaders' table, uh, you still have that voice within your own regional district. So, what what kind of conversations are you guys having when it comes to? Uh, let's just ha talk about that whole broad issue of of. Uh, of uh, species at risk. Are you, what, what kind of conversations are you guys having? Well, the, just what I, I said, the conversations we're having is everybody should be at that table. Uh, that's, to us, we haven't moved on that. It's, it just seems to be common sense to us. Mm -hmm. But have you guys had any... About species. But you have you had any chats when it comes to any kind of action like I know you have to go through that provincial level but have you guys had any sort of uh, look at what can be done you know from the regional districts perspective I mean when you're advocating for a spot at the table you obviously have something to say so I'm just curious what what kind of chats have been had um, you know that you would then take to that provincial level well that's that's part of the frustration uh, without having that table and the conversation around the table we don't know what all the specifics are. Uh, 
we 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 don't know what they put together on the sciences of it or the cultural knowledge from the First Nations. We don't know what they've uh, done on the industry part, and so it's a, it's a lot of frustration. We're we're local government. We're trying to do the best we can, and we're basically locked out of this process. So yeah. it's very tough for us. We want to be involved. We want to move forward, but it's a little tough for us to do if we're not in the room. For sure. Definitely uh, sounds like a frustrating process that you guys have had to go through to this point. Um, have you heard anything at all from the government? I mean, obviously you're not being invited to the table, but you know, have you heard any um, action that they're trying to take that might involve uh, you know, some hindrance on your region or, or you know, provincial officials coming in to, to do some um, studying in the region or anything along those lines? Like, Have you been in contact at all with other parts of this plan outside of the consultation process? None. We've, uh, we've had nothing other than what you read in the media or social media where the herds are increasing, the programs are working. Uh, you know, we were promised the socioeconomic uh, impact study last spring. Uh, we've yet to see that. Uh, they contracted a firm out of Terrace, I believe. Uh, supposedly that impact study was done, but yet they never came up here and talked to us. So, you know, how, how do you do a study on an area if you're not going to talk to the people from that area? Yeah. Um, um, what, uh, what can you tell me anecdotally from, you know, you, you say we were reading that, um, you know, percentage increases are happening when it comes to things like caribou recovery, the herds are getting bigger. Mm -hmm. um, are, you, are you seeing that? Can you observe that? Or is that just numbers that uh, we have to read to, and that's the only evidence we have at this point? Like, what, what are you seeing? It, it, it's numbers. I mean, we rely in, on what the province is telling us, uh, you know, and we're, we're fine with that. I mean, it's, to me, that sounds great. I mean, you can't drive out and see these caribou. They're in areas that, uh, well, you and I wouldn't want to drive to, and <laughs> fair, some of the industry enough. and people are out there. But, you know, we rely on the numbers. They're saying the program's working. The herds are increasing. I mean, 49% in five years sounds great but is it enough let's keep these programs going what is it the, what's the number we're looking for maybe there is no number you know uh, but that's the whole problem we're left in the dark we we don't know so how do we move forward we continue asking for a seat at that table and like i said they're doing it every place else in the province but yet here we keep getting locked out yeah, definitely frustrating for you guys. Anything else that you want to add here, Brad, before I let you go? I think I've pretty much run out of questions at this point, but uh, obviously an issue you're going to continue to, uh, to to deal with here, not only probably when it comes to care, but whatever issues that the PRRD is dealing with. Uh, and, you know, you're trying to get some more advocacy at the provincial level. It sounds like, uh, you know, you guys are having some frustration as a whole. So uh, just before I let you go, anything else that you want to add here? Well, other than we're just going to continue asking for that seat at the table, the board, we stood together on this. Uh, we've always had an open door policy. Let's talk and move forward with this issue. Or any other species that uh, is considered at risk, let's get to work and get it done. Well, Brad, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, best of luck moving forward. Okay, thank you. Fantastic. That was uh, Peace River Regional District Chair Brad Sperling. Coming up after the break, it is November 1, also known as Movember 1. I'll be chatting with organizers of that charity after this.
Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Bringing common sense to the daily conversation. Simi Sarah is on Radio NL. Hey, right project, wrong location. A Webster Award recipient and two-time national RTNDA award winner. Simi is passionate about news and making sure you get it first. We're going to break down how this happened, how we got to this point. Personable, humble, and real. Tell us now where it should go. The Simi Sarah Show starting at 10 weekday mornings on Radio NL 610 AM. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back here on November 1st. Yes, Friday the 1st. And you know what that means? It means it is the beginning of mustache season. For over a decade, thousands of Canadians participate in November to raise funds and awareness for men's health. More than 5.6 million men around the world are currently living with prostate cancer. More than 380,000 men around the world die each year from prostate cancer. And globally, more than 1.4 million men are diagnosed every year. Those at Movember, of course, are doing what they can to raise money and awareness and uh, have set a goal of having the number of men who are dying of prostate cancer by the year 2030. I'm joined now by Mitch Hermanson with the Movember Foundation. Mitch, thanks so much for joining me. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So let me just start by asking a little about participation in November, because I remember, you know, 10 years ago when it felt like every man that was capable of growing a stash was doing so. Uh, it doesn't seem to have quite the spice that it once did. So just, uh, you know, from your from your eyeballs, I mean, we'll get into the other aspects of how people participate in a bit, but just in terms of the stash itself, are you seeing a lot of people still growing that lip rug during the month? You know what, Jeff? I think the mustaches have a resurgence. We've certainly seen an uptick, actually, in participation over the past two years, and it's looking trending that way again for this year. So we're obviously super excited, and as we hit this hairy month, it's all about raising funds and awareness for men's health. So uh, we're excited to get it going. Uh, is there a particular mustache that you've seen that maybe has been your favorite over the course of time? It's been uh, like wow. going on for over a decade, so there's a lot to choose from now. Yeah, you know what, Jeff? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of all mustaches. Our, our campaign this year is actually, it's whatever you grow will save a bro. So whether you grow, you know, a thick Ron Burgundy or maybe something a little thinner like a Justin Bieber, we love them all. Encourage everybody to, to sign up. It's all for a good cause. I know you mentioned prostate cancer and that we've been doing that since the beginning, but we've actually added as well testicular cancer. We've been funding mental health and suicide prevention since 2012. So these are some big causes. You know, we have a lot of fun with Movember. It's a fun cause. It's actually pretty serious. One, unfortunately, it touches a lot of people. So we're doing everything we can to raise awareness and uh, raise funds for this important cause. Right on. And I believe we actually spoke uh, during Mental Health Awareness uh, Week or month or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, definitely good to see you guys kind of expanding your role here in, the, in terms of mental health or uh, men's health um, as a whole. So let's just talk a little bit about how, uh, you know, Movember has done over the course of its existence. I mean, how much money have you guys been able to raise through the organization and through campaigns like Movember, you know, to really make a difference yeah. in terms of men's health? Yeah, absolutely. So the thing about Movember is that actually before Movember began, there wasn't a lot being done for men's health. So we really put it on the map. And, um, you know, since in Canada, since we started in 2007, we raised over $250 million. It's all going towards men's health programs. We funded 1,200 men's health programs globally, about a quarter of those right here in Canada. That's going to amazing programs. A great one in BC 
funded out of UBC called Heads Up Guys. It's an online space for men to learn and check in about their mental health. About a few weeks ago, we just announced some funding going to the Vancouver Prostate Center uh, to three researchers looking at new treatments for advanced prostate cancer. So really making a huge impact uh, on men's health across Canada and definitely right here in BC. And I'm sure, you know, the, the money is fantastic and, you know, it's the, the main thing that we see, I guess, when it comes to just results is being able to tally up those funds that have been raised. But I would think almost even a, a bigger part of this campaign is the awareness aspect and the fact that people are maybe getting checked uh, a little more frequently to see if there is some issues when it comes to their health and when it comes to uh, diagnosing prostate cancer earlier. I mean, have you seen a big uptick in the amount of men that are, you know, taking their health seriously and are getting checked out? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think you nailed it on the head there, Jeff. Um, November at its core, what we're really all about is starting conversation and destigmatizing the topic of men's health. We know that historically, men, we're not the best at taking care of our health. I would prefer to tough it out and go to the doctors. Um, and we're really trying to flip the script on that and get men actually taking action. Now you're seeing men talk about their health, especially during this month, send an email blast out to all their friends about the importance of getting checked early for prostate cancer, going to the doctors. Even now on the mental health side of things, you're seeing People send out emails to all their friends and, and family, posting on social media about the importance of taking your mental health seriously as well. So you're really seeing that that change when it comes to awareness, and that's really our message. Whatever you grow will save a bro. Every mustache will start conversations, raise funds, awareness, and save lives. And can you talk a little bit about the growth of uh, just the Movember organization as a whole? Because it started here in Canada, did it not? And it's kind of really, really spread from there. You know what, so it actually started in Australia. Australia. And it's probably the coolest, the coolest thing about Movember is how it started because it started out as a complete joke. 30 friends did it just for fun um, the first year. And what they realized, though, is that mustache started the conversation. Strangers were coming up to them being like, what are you doing? Why are you growing a mustache? And you forget to wash your face. You know, wives were upset. And so the guys actually said, you know what, I think we might be on to a good idea. They wanted to replicate, you know, what had been done for women's health with the pink ribbon. This could be the same for men's health. And then in 2007... It came to Canada, and obviously it's exploded since then. We're now in 20 countries, had over 5 million supporters, funded over 1,200 men's health projects, as I mentioned. So some really Im impressive stuff and kind of cool when you think it all started with just 30 mustaches back in 2003. Yeah, definitely awesome to see the way it has exploded. Um, just, uh, you know, not a lot of time left here, but uh, Mitch, how do we uh, go about uh, participating in this outside of obviously growing a stash? But uh, what, what do people do to, to contribute to this campaign? Do you jump online? How does that work? You bet. So the best place to go is Movember.com. Tons of resources there, health info, um, but also how to fundraise, how to get involved. So obviously grow a mustache, easiest, simple way. Uh, you can also move, take the physical activity challenge, challenging people to move 60 kilometers, run a walk during the month, or just host an event, get creative, host any fundraiser. Uh, it's all for the good cause and supporting men in your lives. So head to Movember.com to sign up or donate. Perfect. Uh, well, that's definitely some good stuff. I did want to ask one more question here because I was talking about it earlier with some guys in the office and they seem to laugh at me. But are there any other ways that people are participating? Because obviously, uh, you know, not everyone can grow a mustache out there. And I remember um, a campaign back from where I just moved from not too long ago. There was a, a group of women who uh, did, uh, they didn't shave their legs for the month. I mean, are you seeing other ways that people are getting involved when they can? Yeah. So, uh you can certainly get creative. You can do anything you want. So, like Jeff, last year I swam eight kilometers in the Pacific Ocean in one go. That was my fundraiser. As I mentioned, you can sign up. You grow a mustache. You can move. It's basically a physical activity challenge. Or just host an event, whether it's a chili cook-off at work or road hockey tournament with friends. Do anything to raise funds uh, for men's health. Good stuff. Well, definitely, uh, hopefully you guys have another good month here in terms of this Movember campaign, and I'm sure we'll see lots of participation here around Kamloops, so looking forward to seeing some, some dirty stashes out here. Thanks so much for doing this, Mitch. Um, really hey. appreciate it. Thanks.
Thanks, Jeff. Have a good one. You as well. That was Mitch Hermanson with the Movember Foundation here in BC. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here on Monday at 9.